A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. Hey, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day. on the gig then. Remember, you wanted this. Welcome to Screen Perspectives, a podcast produced by the Pittsburgh Film Office to share how people build successful careers in the screen industry, be it film, TV, streaming, etc. Screen Perspectives was born out of many conversations with industry professionals, sometimes over dinner, sometimes over drinks, and a lot of times driving around looking at the wonderful diversity of locations in the southwestern Pennsylvania region. Thousands of people make their living in the film, TV, streaming business, which is nationally an over $28 billion a year industry. Locally, it is responsible for over $150 million in new money to the southwestern Pennsylvania region's economy. There really is no direct pathway to success in this industry. It's a lot of hard work, networking, and you have to account for a little bit of luck to be successful. The Pittsburgh Film Office is excited to share these amazing individuals' stories with you, so you can learn how they did it and determine your best path forward. Screen Perspectives is hosted by me, Don Kieser, director of the Pittsburgh Film Office, and the incredible Kevin Smith, screenwriter and screenwriting instructor at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us. Our guest on today's podcast is the person who is widely regarded as the greatest director in the history of television, Don Misher. In the past 60 years, Don Misher has directed every major program that has aired on television. This includes Super Bowl halftime shows, to directing and producing Oscar and Emmy telecast, and a host of TV specials that range from the 1983 Motown 25, where Michael Jackson debuted as Moonwalk, to specials featuring the likes of Prince, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Muhammad Ali, and Taylor Swift, among many others. He also directed the inauguration of Barack Obama as president. He has directed more than 100 TV productions, winning 13 Primetime Emmy Awards and two Daytime Emmys for his work. He also has a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild of America, a Peabody for Motown 25, and the Norman Lear Achievement Award from the Producers Guild of America. Don Misher has won more Emmy Awards, 10 total, than any other TV director in history. Don's memoir, 10 Seconds to Air, My Life in the Director's Chair, was published on November 14th from Unnamed Press and Rarebird. Check it out now. It's an incredible read. We are thrilled to welcome Don to our show today. Here, what we like to talk about are people's pathways to success. And yours is so interesting and fascinating especially given where you came from. You started in Texas. Your father yep. picked cotton and you ended up in Los Angeles. I don't think it's Beverly Hills. We're in the mansion in Beverly Hills, but I don't think it's actually Beverly Hills. But tell us, why write the book now? Why did you decide now you're going to share this? I, um, look, I, when I was nine years old, I saw the first broadcast of live television in South Texas. 
It was a basketball court that was on the middle of the court. There were mariachi bands and square dancers and country bands. And um, it was a basketball court. So the stands were all full of people. And we were watching the live event on the floor and at the same time seeing it on television sets that surrounded the floor. This was the very first broadcast of television in San Antonio, Texas, okay? And my father took it, took me to see it, and I was quite simply mesmerized. So what resulted from this is I more or less came of age as television came of age. And television opened up new worlds to me and took me to places I never dreamed I would see. And I really fell in love. And I said, this is where I'd like to live. (laughs) I want to live in this world. Um, It took me a long time to to get there because I was um, kind of discouraged from my family. This was a new medium television. And I remember my dad saying to me, who's going to want to watch a little eight inch box with black and white blurry pictures on it. I'm not sure this is going to last a long time television. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, So I went on and we're studying for a graduate degree at the university of Texas. And, but in the back of my heart, in the back of my mind, I always loved television. I played in a country band and I played a double neck, Fender steel guitar. And I was at the age of like 13, 14, playing on local television. And when I walked into those studios, I didn't think about performing on television. My heart just raced at seeing what was going on, the lights, the cameras. So I was kind of infatuated with it. And, you know, other kids my age, um, when I was like, 12, 13, 14, they were building, uh, playing cowboys and Indians and building forts with tables and chairs. And I was in my garage building fantasy television studios. (laughs) I had cardboard boxes. I would take old toilet paper rolls when they were empty and put them in to make pan uh, a lens and use an old broomstick to make, make a pan handle. I put lights on ladders and I used old bedspreads to make curtains. And, you know, I pretended to be a director and I pretended to be a cameraman. And the neighbors all thought about me as being just kind of that strange Misher kid, you know? <laughs> but, um, so that that's how it happened. And many events along the way, it, it took me a while to make the commitment. There were several events in my life that helped me make the commitment that had impact on me. One of which was Kennedy's assassination in Dallas on November the 22nd, 1963. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, two o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office 
shortly and become uh, the 36th president of the United States. You know, we loved this man. We loved this new president. And he was on his way to Austin, actually, when this happened. He was going to be speaking under the tower at the University of Texas, big plaza out there. And, you know, Lyndon Johnson was now president. So he was on his way to the airport to come here. And I went to, I was going to meet him just as a fan of nothing official, but just go out and watch him land at the airport in Austin, which at that time was called Bergstrom. And when I got to the airport, I saw people standing around television sets in shocking silence watching what was going on in Dallas. And um, then, I mean, that had a very personal effect on me. And then Lyndon Johnson was now president and all the reporters that were in Dallas covering the assassination, they then came to Austin and they wanted to do stories on this new president, Lyndon Johnson. I had studied political science. I was a political science student. I got hired as a gopher to drive them around, take them to LBJ's ranch and all this kind of stuff. And they quite simply blew me away. You know, they, um, they came into town and two or three hours later, their stories were going out to the world. Um, and the immediacy of the medium, I really think that television, even though it had been around for like 13, 14 years, became of age that weekend because as a nation, we grieved together and we watched all this unfold on television and it, um, it helped us get through it. It, I, it was, it was a day at weekend that I really still look at as the weekend that television came of age. And I think I'm getting into too much detail here. Okay. But uh, I wrote the book, I wrote the book because I went on to have a career in television. I was blessed to do a lot of wonderful things like Olympic ceremonies and Super Bowl halftimes with Prince and did a lot of work with Michael Jackson and um, Prince in the rain, you know, at the Super Bowl halftime show. And I just had a lot of great experiences. I've, I've been blessed to be in this business. And I really wanted at this point to kind of uh, write about it and tell stories about it. You know, we all get around when we're having meeting with friends or having a drink with them and saying stuff like you're tell, telling stories and people say to you, why don't you write a book? You know, well, <laughs> you did. <laughs> we did. I finally said, okay, okay, I'll give it a shot. But um, I really enjoyed writing it and um, I hope people find it interesting. Um, but it's it's uh, it was the the joys, the ups, and the downs of um, you know dealing with this and um, and having a life in television. And I've just um, I really, really I love my job, and I feel blessed that I was able to earn a living in my life with something that I loved so much um it wasn't like work for me you know mm -hmm. 
Now I'm going to let you talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I, 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 it's funny because I want to come back and talk about the camera. But while we're, you just mentioned how the impact of uh, President Kennedy being assassinated, which, by the way, is my very first memory is the funeral, watching Black Jack the horse with the, yes. with the commander's boots on backwards. That's my very first memory in life no is kidding. that funeral. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, you said how that impacted you so, so strong. And one of my thoughts when I was reading uh, what you've done in your book, uh, you've had a chance to, like you mentioned, Prince in 2017 at the Super Bowl in the pouring rain and how special that was. The tattered American flag from the World Trade Center at the, uh, being brought into Olympic Stadium in Salt Lake City in 2002. Uh, right. Michael Jackson's moonwalk at the 20, 25th Motown, which I remember watching that. And, and President Obama's inauguration when he physically walked out. You orchestrated this for all of us to experience. Yes. What were you feeling during those events? God, I got a, I, I just got goosebumps when you were describing Obama that that day of the inaugural concert at the Lincoln Memorial for America's first black president. I mean, that was a day in history that I'm so thankful I got to be a part of, you know, and I was so honored um, to be able to do that. It was there were seven hundred thousand people gathered around the Lincoln Memorial, all the way back to the Washington Monument, and it was bitter cold that morning. I got up before sunrise, and it was this bitter, bitter cold. Seventeen degrees. The wind was blowing twenty-five miles an hour, and as we drove. We had our headlights on, but we could see the sun coming up in the east. But as we drove past the Washington Monument and down the National Mall, we saw all these families coming in. Kids bundled up, gloves, hats, scarves, carrying thermoses of, of hot coffee and whatever, hot chocolate. They all wanted to be part of this incredible day. And when he walked down those steps, we called the show, We Are One. Come on out for the rising are the voices I will take with me every day when I walk into that Oval Office. The voices of men and women who have different stories, but hold common hopes.
so good. I was able to be a little bitty part of history that day. And I remember that as one of the greatest days in my life. The weather was bitter and cold. It was gray and gloomy. But that event with him coming down those steps with Michelle, I mean, that was just, that was what we stood for, you know? And I remember talking with Bono and I had initially just said, would you mind coming over and doing something for our new president? And when I told him what it was, he said, I'll be there, but I'm also going to bring everybody else in my group with me. So he brought YouTube over. We paid nobody anything. They all had to pay their own expenses. And it became something that we all were tremendously proud to have been involved with. Mm, mm, mm. I have goosebumps right now. I don't know about all of you, but I know that- it's an amazing thing. And yeah, I just said to Bono, do you want to come over? So, you know, if you could send Bono back over to Pittsburgh too, you two hasn't been here in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, how do you walk us through? How do you, I mean, you've worked with, I'm going to go through the list later, but you've worked with the most prominent actors and performers and acts in the history of the world. Uh, how do you book these? Walk us through how you book them. Um, it, they they all can't be on they, you. They booked him, right? Well, yeah, well, they well, booked him. Michael Jackson refused to perform. Yeah, but he has Michael them on, on his speed dial. I mean, Michael honest Jackson to gosh. refused to perform at the Super Bowl until they agreed that Don could direct. Right. Well, think about that. Like, again, like, now, well, the, I, how do you. Uh, many times I got turned down. And there's some events like the Obama inaugural where I had to keep people off the show. I had to call them. Everybody wanted to do it. Everybody was willing to pay their own way. I said, I can give you two regular hotel rooms. You have to pay for your security, your entourage. You got to, you got to buy your own plane ticket. You got to drive yourself around in your own car in Washington. And nobody said no, you know, but other artists like, Bruce Springsteen, I used to go after him, John Landau as his manager. And um, I would ask him to do stuff. I offered him the closing ceremonies, the entire closing ceremonies of the Olympics in Atlanta. That was the one where Muhammad Ali. And look, it's Muhammad Ali. What a moment. The torch. And he turned me down. And um, so you you try and you try. If you and it was like strange with, with Bruce Springsteen because I had done Super Bowls with um, Prince, the Stones, uh, McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um MJ, yeah. Today, we stand together all around the world, joined in a common purpose to remake the planet to a haven of joy. 
and understanding and goodness. No one should have to suffer, especially our children. This time, we must succeed. This is for the children of the world. There's a place in your heart, and I know that it is none. And the place be much brighter than tomorrow. And Bruce kept saying no to doing the Super Bowl. Like he didn't like, I think, some of the commercial things that went with it. You had to sign footballs and you had to like <laughs> take pictures with sponsors and stuff like that. But after Tom Petty, the Monday morning after the Tom Petty Super Bowl halftime show, uh, John Landau called me and said, Bruce has agreed to do it. Man, I was like walking on air. I gave everybody in the office the rest of the day off. <laughs> and it was just, we have finally got it. And then since that time, we've worked many times with Bruce. He's done a lot of things with us at 9-11 and all that. Working with artists, it was always a matter of trust and developing trust. And when they're going to go out and be on some place where hundreds of millions of people are going to see them, they have to feel comfortable. They have to know they're being taken care of. Somebody's watching and helping them with what they're doing. And that started with Michael Jackson, you know, because when we did Motown 25, um, which was one of the best shows I did ever. But Michael didn't want to, uh, Michael wanted to sing a, um, a new song. And of course they all wanted to sing, all the artists wanted to sing a new song. Marvin Gaye had just come out with a song called Sexual Healing. He, he did not, he left Motown, but he, and he went to Columbia and that's where he published that song. He wanted to come back and he said, look, okay, I'll do a Motown song, but I also want to do sexual healing. Michael said the same thing. We wanted Michael to come back with his brothers, the Jackson Five. He said, I'll come back, but I've got to do my own song. And there was a, I, I used to, I'm working with Suzanne DePass producing this, and we were saying to each other, you know, how do we deal with this? What are we going to do if we let Michael Jackson do a new song and we don't let Marvin Gaye do a new song? 
who's going to take the phone call from him on Monday morning? Okay. Later that night, we actually asked Michael to come in and do the performance on the stage in Pasadena, where we did tape Motown 25. We watched him with the glove, the fedora, the sparkly jacket, all of these things are now in the Smithsonian Institution under glass, by the way. But we watched him do Billie Jean and we looked at each other. Did, I was in the room, Smokey Robinson, Linda Ronstadt and Suzanne DePass. And we looked at each other and said, we must do this. We must do it. That's it. You know, and we went ahead and did it, you know, and we were able to keep Marvin Gaye from walking off the show. But um, did and, he call on Monday? I beg your pardon? Did Marvin Gaye call you on Monday? No, Marvin Gaye came out later <laughs> in the show. First of all, no, he didn't. And I think the reason he didn't was when he saw Michael do Billy Jean. said i understand why they did that right. i don't i didn't think he was going to call me marvin, <laughs> marvin came out and did this eloquent um uh story of black music and mm -hmm. history and then he sang what's going on my loved ones today is the birthplace of forever There's far too many of you die. You know you've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. But 
He was so passionate and it was so expressive in his face that it just moved in and kind of kept a close up on him. You could see the pain, you could feel it when he sang it. You know, yeah. unfortunately, he died a year later. That was his right. last performance on television. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, yeah. go ahead. You, you know, I have to tell you two things about that. That, that that's a seminal moment in in television, the moonwalk that Michael Jackson did during that Billie Jean performance. I actually have my uh, broadcast one class watch that. You did? That, that, uh, yes, the, the Motown. Jennifer was in my broadcast one class at one time. I actually have that as part of a project that the students do because the the production value is, it's, it's truly one of the great production programs in the history of television. It's that strong. Not and, only that, but the moonwalk, uh, you know, Mikhail Baryshnikov, who yes. did from Russia, and was certainly, most people consider the greatest male dancer yep. of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. When he saw that, I actually was working with him, and he said, that's the most effective piece of dance I've ever witnessed. Said that about Michael. Wow. And uh, wow. I was at the White House because we were doing an interview with President Reagan or something. And the, I was staying at this hotel. And then when we got on the elevator, the guys were talking about it. When we got to the front desk, the guys were talking about it. People at breakfast were talking about it. That was Entertainment Weekly still calls it, a, a, I think, a culturally, a cultural milestone. American music history. You've been listening to episode 12 of Screen Perspectives. Screen Perspectives is hosted by Don Keezer and Kevin Smith, produced and engineered by Max Glider, Isaiah Stewart, and Jennifer Booker. Music by Isaiah Stewart. Special thanks to today's guest, Don Misher, the Pittsburgh Film Office, and to the University of Pittsburgh. Screen Perspectives is a production of the Pittsburgh Film Office.